side note, my wife is upstairs. She didn't even coach me on this. <laughs> so you have to report back to her I did really good, no matter what happens. <laughs> I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And 
that I myself be in them. Thank you, Rob. And if you're not aware, Rob's wife Susie is an actor, so she has very high standards for things to be read. So I'm glad you did as well as you did, Rob. <laughs> you know, in the report, a movie based on a real story, Adam Driver plays an idealistic Senate staffer named Daniel Jones. Daniel is commissioned by Senator Dianne Feinstein to serve in the, the largest Senate investigation ever. He's pouring through s over six million pages of classified documents to investigate the CIA's use of force following 9-11. And there's a scene in the movie where the CIA reluctantly submits all these documents to Daniel, but they're useless because they've been redacted so much. You can see kind of how they've been covered and blacked out. And we feel Daniel's frustration and injustice at this lack of transparency. There are pages and pages of conversations that he wants to disclose to the public, but, this, but he's unable to. Because what he wants to disclose is the CIA's uh, ineffective and unjustified use of torture following 9-11, but he feels handicapped in doing so. Have you ever been privy to a secret, information, a secret conversation or information? Maybe it's not, not quite so scandalous as what Daniel Jones wanted to share. Maybe it's simply hearing a child tell their friend who they have a crush on. You know what that li that's like? You feel like you've got something that is worth sharing with someone else. And hopefully you can do this without betraying the trust of someone else in the process. In today's passage, we find that we are privy to one of the most intimate conversations in the history of the universe. Why is that? Because it's the only significant conversation that's ever recorded in Scripture between Jesus the Son and God the Father. It's what my preaching professor, Daryl Johnson, referred to as listening in on the conversation at the center of the universe. We get to listen in on the eternal Christ speaking with his Father. We get a highlight of what has been going on since the beginning of time. We know that Jesus prayed, right? If you read the Gospels, we know that Jesus constantly withdrew from the crowds to pray during his active ministry. In Matthew 6, we hear Jesus teach his disciples how he prays and how to pray in what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. We also know that when Jesus is arrested and, and crucified, he's found in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. In Hebrews 7, we're told that Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, Jesus continues to pray for his people at the right hand of God. Jesus clearly was and is a person of prayer. Here at WCF, we've talked much about and modeled different kinds of prayer. In particular, we wanted to nurture this uh, attentiveness to God's work in our lives through contempl contemplative prayer and through prayers of gratitude. But Jesus models to us a different kind of prayer here. It's a kind of prayer known as intercessory prayer. And the word intercession means to stand in between or stand on behalf of. And as we begin 2020, 
We want to be a faith community that is not only concerned for our own personal, spiritual, and emotional health, but for the health and the flourishing of the communities that we live in. So through the month of January, we're going to be walking through this series entitled Praying the Mission to help us join with God in prayer on behalf of people and communities that God has placed us in, God has called WCF to reach. And from that place of prayer, I trust that God will lead us to invest more significantly as a faith community in this wider community that God has called us to. What Jesus prayed for and how, why he prayed for those things can inform the way that we pray for those around us. So we're going to look at these three things. What did Jesus pray for? What was the goal of his prayer? And therefore, what can we pray as a result? What did Jesus pray? Why did he pray it? Therefore, what do we pray as a result? Grounding our prayer in what Jesus prayed, then we can explore what it looks like to intercede for those around us, for those we are in relationship with, for the communities that he has placed us in, and for the world that he has called us to. You can tell a lot about a person by what they talk about, right? You can tell a lot about a person by their online browsing history, too. But you can especially tell a lot about a person as they, uh, about what they share as, as they reach the end of their lives. Here's a picture of our family with my great uncle who celebrated his 100th birthday last Sunday. And so as I talked to him, I asked him, it's like, hey, great uncle, what wisdom do you have to share after living 100 years of life here on earth? And he said, it's a kind of rough translation because it's in Cantonese. Uh, but it's basically, he's saying, don't get stressed out about too many things. After living 100 years of life, that was his wisdom that he wanted to pass on. You know, in John 17, we get to see what Jesus wanted to share as, in his, as he talked with God the Father before the biggest weekend ever in the history of the universe. This prayer began... A few, uh, is prayed a few moments before Judas shows up to betray Jesus, which leads up to the event of the cross. Leslie Newbegin is a British missionary to India, or was a British missionary to India, and he comments on this passage saying, this prayer leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus. This is the core of what Jesus, uh, it reveals the core of what Jesus came to do. This prayer is extensive and a bit hard to get into. So, so people have helped us. One commentator uh, has framed it helpfully, and it's often ref uh, reflected in how our English translations section off this chapter. In the first five verses, which we didn't read, Jesus is praying for himself. It's a, he's talking about his relationship with the Father, and a key word there is glory. Glorify, glorify, glory. In the second section, from 6 to 19, Jesus is praying for his immediate disciples because he knows that he's going to be leaving them and they're going to be left alone. And so the key word there is kept and protect and remain and keep and teach. In the final section, from 20 to 26, Jesus is praying for his present followers but also his future followers, of which many of us here belong to. And what's his prayer for them? The key word is one. Within this prayer, there, that, uh, this sec these sections, there are five specific requests that Jesus makes. In the first uh, verse, in the fifth verse, Jesus says, Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. 
And then in verse 11 comes a second request. Keep them, that's the disciples, in your name that you gave to me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then in verse 15, there's a third request. Keep them from the evil one. And then in the fourth request in verse 17 is sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then the final section, 21 to 23, he asks that all of them, his present and his future followers, that they may be one, that they may experience this unity that he experiences with the Father. After Jesus prays for himself at the beginning to faithfully complete this mission that God has sent him for, we see Jesus' concern for his present disciples as well as his future ones. Jesus intercedes for others. He intercedes on their behalf. He brings their needs. He's bringing their needs and situations before the Father, not because the Father doesn't know about those needs, but it's a way for Jesus to acknowledge his concern, to highlight a need, but also to say something like this. He's saying, Father, only you can meet this need. After the events of this weekend are over, the disciples are going to be left alone. They're going to be left in turmoil. Here's what they're going to be going through. So keep them close to you, Father. Keep their identity in you strong. Keep them safe from the evil one who seeks to cast doubt on them, who seeks to discourage them, who seeks to destroy them, especially when I die. Keep them faithful and set apart through this word that I have given to them. And then he continues on to pray for future followers, saying they're going to be tempted to divide. They're going to look for things that seem really important to them at the time about their practices, about their positions, about their doctrines, but help them to realize and experience this union that you and I have experienced since the beginning of time. And because of that union, because of that unity, the world is going to recognize you. The world is going to recognize your love. The world is going to recognize your character through this community of believers. In intercession, there's something more than just praying for a need. It's identifying with and empathizing with the one that you are praying for. In intercession, we are invited to consider the weight of the burden of the ones that we are praying for and bear that together with them. In intercession, we might even anticipate, as Jesus does for the disciples, these burdens that they may not even be aware of yet and offer those, too, before God in prayer. So we begin a month of intercessory prayer for those we are in relationship with, for those in our local community, and for situations around the world. We're going to unpack those things over the next couple of weeks. And as we do so, we're going to stand before God as if we were in their shoes, feeling the burden, the weight of them, and to cry out to God on their behalf. So intercession isn't just praying for a need. It's stepping into their shoes. And maybe, like news of this week, a bomb being dropped in Iraq and the implications of that. We can pray whatever we want to pray. But what, if look, what would it look like for us to pray as if we were in the shoes of our leaders, having to make very difficult decisions? Or praying for those on the other end, who they have to, where they have to make very difficult decisions, and asking and standing before God on their behalf, praying for peace, praying for wisdom. You know, we can go from this spectrum of ignoring what's going on, to being aware of what's going on, and actually acknowledging that something is going on, 
But there's something different when we begin to identify with the people that we're praying for and then interceding on their behalf. So before you complain about an issue or before you click share on your social media about an issue, I invite you, just pray. Don't just pray for what you want out of the issue. You can do that, but pray as if you're in the shoes of those that you're praying for, with their burdens, with their questions, with their fears, and bring that before God in prayer. That's what intercession is about. You know, I grew up in a charismatic expression of Christianity, and I was exposed to a certain kind of intercessory prayer. In particular, it was very loud and expressive and often very long. You know, before the service, we'd gather in groups of 10 or maybe 20 in, in a prayer room, and, and everyone would be praying out loud at the same time, often in language that we would understand, but often in languages that we don't understand was referred to as praying in tongues. We were praying for God to move in the service. We were praying for God to move around the world. And I participated in this kind of prayer because I believe in this goal of prayer to affect change in our lives and in our church and in our world. But was that, is that the only reason we pray? In my previous church, immediately coming, uh, before coming to WCF, I helped lead prayer teams that prayed for others in the service, much like our elders and healing prayer team members do here at WCF during communion and at the end of the service. It's a kind of intercessory prayer where we care for people as they come forward to share their needs and their prayer requests. And one of the goals for prayer is to care for people, but that's not the only reason, is it? During my father's last visit to D.C., he enjoyed spending uh, a time of prayer over several days along the National Mall. He'd be interceding for the nation at the many monuments and what those monuments symbolize using a guide published by National Community Church and, and this, this organization called the House of Prayer. And at the end of the prayer, he went back to the prayer time, he went to the office and even got a t-shirt out of that. One of the goals of prayer is to see a nation changed and perhaps get a t-shirt even out of it, right? But that can't be the only reason we pray, right? So what's the goal of this prayer? Is it for prayer to change situations? Is it uh, prayer for God to answer the thi- the, the, our prayers the way we expect him to? Or is it to be changed by God? Or maybe it's just to get a t-shirt. Sometimes that struggle, for me, internally, would lead to a, a sense of inadequacy. I'm not praying enough, God. They're not being answered the way I expect. My prayers aren't fervent enough. My faith isn't big enough. I'm not saying the right kinds of prayers. So I don't see the kind of results that I expect. And then I end up just not praying. But that doesn't seem to be the goal of Jesus here in our prayer. What does he say? In verse 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then we see over and over again, verse 11, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, that I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. See, Jesus intercedes here on behalf of his present and future disciples. And he shows his humanity in this prayer. The agony, we feel it, of wanting the best for those that he cares for most. For Jesus, these feelings are genuine. They're real. 
but they're not overwhelming for him. We also see Jesus' divine character in this confidence he has in the Father's desire to accomplish God's will. He speaks of this unity that he and the Father share. Jesus' prayers for the impending needs are motivated by this deep sharing of this union that Jesus experiences with God the Father. This is the goal of Jesus' intercession. This unity is not just some divine, mystical union that we experience at a personal level, like some of those espoused by, you know, modern spiritualities, which actually are a rehash of ancient spiritualities. The goal of intercessory prayer isn't just to make us feel better because we're praying, but we're invited to enter into a kind of a relationship with God that is made possible by Jesus, Jesus' work on the cross that we sang about earlier in this building. We are able to enter into this deep union with the living God because of Christ's ultimate intercession for us on the cross. What he does on the cross is he, is he solves the problem of what breaks this union with God. Our sin, our brokenness. And experiencing this life-changing truth is what propels us into intercession and our union with God in Christ is the goal ahead of us. That's what we're longing for. But it's also what's beneath us and what's behind us, pushing us forward in prayer. When we pray for others in intercession, we may feel the weight, but we don't carry the weight by ourselves. We simply bring the needs before the living God, who is the only being in the universe who is able to do something about those needs. And we find in Jesus' final petition, we find that as their needs are met, we, they can experience the union and the unity of Christ with the Father. And in the process of our praying, we too experience this deep union and unity with Christ. When we intercede, the results don't depend on us. And they don't depend on what we pray. And that's freeing. Just like the freedom we experience when we experience the good news of Jesus. You know, Jesus prayed for his immediate disciples who are about to be left alone as he goes to the cross. But he also prays for all future disciples, including ourselves as we read and hear this text today. He prays for our protection. He prays for uh, the, us to remain close to God. He prays for the word of God to go deep in us and to set us apart. And ultimately, he prays for our unity with him and with one another. So how are we invited to intercede for others? Well, the easiest and broadest answer, of course, is that we can pray for anything and everything. Ephesians 6.18, Paul, in Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, keep on praying at all times with all kinds of prayer. We're invited to lift up the needs of ourselves and those around us and of our world. We can pray for healing. We can pray for comfort. We can pray for wisdom. We can pray for salvation. We can pray for revival. We can also pray for the brokenness in our world and pray against those injustices that we clearly see around us. You see, throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, we see God raising up people to intercede for others. Moses is interceding for uh, the enslaved nation of Israel under Egypt. And Aaron, Moses' cousin, lifts up Moses in prayer, and literally uh, in prayer, but also literally holds up Moses' hands in prayer 
as Israel is battling to enter the promised land. And then we have people like Queen Esther who intercedes and steps out and takes a risk before the king to protect her people from destruction. In light of hearing what Jesus himself prays for, we can allow his prayers to inform what we pray for as a community. As we begin 2020, one of the activities I like for us to do together is to pray and intercede together as a community. We want to be praying for those we are in relationship with, your family members, your coworkers, your neighbors. We want to be praying for this, the communities that God has placed us in, it's like this local community that WCF is located in. We want to be praying for situations around the world that God draws our attention to. And we'll be unpacking that over these coming weeks. And I believe that beginning our year and even this decade prayerfully, God is going to show up in surprising ways. God's going to do things that we would never expect in our lives, in our city, and in our church. Here's my conviction, that as God calls a group together, and that's what he's done throughout Scripture, he calls a particular people to a particular place at a particular time to reveal who he is to the world. And he invites us into that story. And as we do so, we're able to demonstrate the unity of Christ, to reveal this beautiful unity to the world. And in a world and a culture that's defined by, uh, by what we are against often, my prayer is that WCF will be known by what we are for in this city. And as we pray together, God will make this mission even clearer to us. And maybe this isn't a normal rhythm for you to pray, in, to, to, con, uh, to do intercessory prayer. But as Jesus leads us through example, he invites us to do that as well. So I invite you together as a faith community here in the bulletin, and it went out in our biweekly uh, news email newsletter, you'll see a, a little prayer guide. And we'll, we'll be publishing one of these every week. And I invite you to take that and pray regularly through it, maybe each day or every couple of days. I'm going to set a timer in my calendar, of, uh, uh, an event in my calendar. So every day at the same time, I'm going to pray for these things for myself and for our church. I invite you to do that. Maybe you like to pray together with other people. Maybe you can reach out to a small group member or uh, someone here and say, hey, do you want to pray together at a certain time? Maybe it's over the phone or over email or uh, not over email, over FaceTime or and just commit to praying and interceding for the church and for others around you. And believe that as you do so, God will honor that. And, we'll, and more than that, we're going to enter into this union, in unity and union that Jesus wants for each one of us. Maybe you were involved in a catalyst group last fall, and this might be a good way to continue praying in prayer together. And if you're open to connecting with someone else and you want help with that, contact the church office. You can email me and we'll try and help you get connected with someone else. So in this prayer guide, it says, number one, for this week, pray for your relationship with Jesus. That to enter and to mirror this union that Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit have experienced. And say, God, there's something about that that I want to experience in my life. Number two, pray for an open heart to see how God is inviting you to be set, of, set apart for God's mission through WCF this year. Maybe there's an area that you feel a burden for. Third, pray for greater discernment 
of where God is sending you in your day-to-day life. So there's what we do together as WCF, and then what you do in your life at work, with neighbors, maybe as you're commuting, what things disturb you in a good way. You say, I don't want to ignore that. I want to pray for that. I want you to meet people in those moments where you point, uh, draw my attention towards God. So I invite you to do that over these coming weeks. And don't just do that by yourself. As you, as you hear and pray, maybe write it down or start a Google Doc and about things that you're praying for. And if there's things that you want to share with us at the church, I think God will begin speaking to us in ways that we would never expect. And God is probably saying similar things to many of us here. So you can message me. Just email me, andrew at wcfchurch.org, the things that God is moving in your heart as you begin to pray. But remember, our prayer is not done alone and by our own strength. Remember, as you pray, Jesus is praying for each one of us. He's praying, keep them, keep them, keep them, keep them from the evil one. Keep them in your word and keep them together. That's what Jesus is praying for us as we pray. We're not doing it alone. Jesus is cheering us on. So as we pray for the needs and bear the burdens of others in our intercession, our goal isn't just for the needs to be answered, but for us to experience this keeping and changing power of God to unite us with him and with one another. And in doing so, we become part of Jesus' first request for the Son to be glorified and for the Father to be glorified. Our intercession results in God getting the glory. Our intercession results in God being shown off for who he is. Let's do that together. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this new year. Thank you for this new decade. And thank you for being at work throughout history. And that as we see the things in our lives and the, those things in our neighbors and in, in the world around us that may burden us, it's easy to turn our way, eyes away from them because we're busy, because we, got, we don't want to look at things that make are difficult. But Jesus, you gave us an example that you're willing to step into them, that you begin that with prayer. And so help us to be a church, a faith community that prays. Prays for not only ourselves, but for those around us. Expecting you to show up, expecting you to be shown off, because that's who you are. That we would be a community of love, a community of peace, community of hope and joy. Will you do that in our midst, God? Teach us to pray, God. We ask these things in your son's name.